0: It's been a fun day already. Just in prayer time earlier this morning, there was just some funny stuff that the Lord was showing that was just making my my soul just laugh. And so that's always good to have laughter in the morning. Um, Did you guys watch the Good News Network at all during this uh, quarantine season? John Krasinski, I was thinking about him during our worship time. It was the coolest thing. Like, there's so much, like, difficulty going on, and this guy starts a whole news network. Millions of people are watching it. You know, it's, it's very entrepreneurial and very forward-thinking. And I think he was on to something, you know, in, in all honesty. I think he was ahead of the curve in what uh, the Lord has actually been doing to all of us. Just pay attention to the good news, you know, this whole time. And, uh, and I just was meditating on that, how, <laughs> you know, uh, we're, we're all attempting to find joy in the midst of these days. Um, and, and he's actually right inside of you. Um, Maybe two years ago, I, I preached on it a, a couple, three months ago or so. I'd had a prophecy about a, a great dragon coming out of China. And, uh, and the prophecy was, you know, essentially, do not fear what comes out of China. Do not fear what comes out of China. And I really feel like the Lord has cut through fear for us who have been just paying attention to that word. And, uh, and this past week, there was some Morgan news. If you guys know Sean Foigt out of... Uh, California, you know, he's a Bethel worship leader out of Bern. Um, he, this man's been, you know, worshiping around the world 24-7 for a long time. And the result of it is miracles follow him, but, but salvations are happening. Uh, if you guys are paying attention to the news in California, they try to shut down worship. And, uh, and that was kind of like the the, for me, jumping the shark or the straw that broke the camel's back, it's like, uh-uh. Like, we, we, we've been hearing for weeks now, it's time to rise up. There was something in that, you know, declaration that was like, n- no more. Like, we, we have got to stand up. And so Sean took, I think it was around 300 folks or so, to the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> Facing China. <laughs> Nothing against the, the country at all. It's just where this thing was coming from. You know, the, 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 the spirit realm, all that stuff, what's going on. <laughs> So in response to, you know, this, this dragon of corona and all that's going on in our nation, out of the gate, out of the golden gate, comes worship back to it. <laughs> are you guys paying attention to the good news? And so today we worship, and the delight of the Lord is upon us. The, the goodness of God is all around us. And friends, that, that's our posture. We, we are standing right now in worship. We are standing in his delight. We have the best message ever. It's already complete. It's already finished. There's nothing in the the months I've had that needs to happen for us to already enter into the delight, the joy, the peace that has already been given to us. It's our job just to respond to it, to remain in it, to stick with it. And so today, I I want to... We've been talking so much, you know, about... This, this urgent, you know, if you want to call that shift. We, we feel a rise, shine, now Isaiah 60 over us. You know, Elizabeth Zen has painted this painting to, uh, to y'all's right. Uh, John was declaring that over us in part. Uh, we are, it's, it's time to be lifted up. This hot air balloon, it's time to be lifted up right now. This is it. And <laughs> in our culture, um, you know, everything is actually trying to pull us down and that's not a knock on people or anything like that it's just it's just kind of like what's happening you know there's a heaviness around us Uh, there's a shaking going on and and Tiffany's message last week was so timely you know about what happens actually in shaking we we get reduced to strength personally corporately Jesus was so reduced he became empty so that he could become totally dependent upon our father (laughs) Uh, you know, there's been, you know, I don't know if you guys have investments or anything like that. You know, early on, like all the investments were gone, and so you know, you, you couldn't find strength in that. Uh, you know, there's there's health scares, and so it was it was tempting you to feel like you couldn't have strength in that, and and there's everything going on with injustice and a race situation in our country. There's politics. Everything is trying to shake up inside of you anything that you have a place to hold on to aside from the Lord, and that's reducing us. You know that, that, that's showing the cracks in our foundation which is necessary Paul himself said that he hadn't yet fully grabbed a hold of all that God had grabbed a hold of him and so here's a man who had been beaten shamed he, he had preached the gospel seen a whole city throw down their idols because of the revival that was happening in Ephesus he had seen Jesus himself and yet he in all of his years of ministry still hadn't yet finished or completed his own maturation or the fullness that was available to him and so Thank God that he's shaking us. Thank God that he's discovering areas in our life that are being, you know, sifted and and removed. There was a dear friend early on uh, last year that uh, had, in prayer together, had discerned that there was a crack in my own foundation. And out of love, this person, you know, showed me this. And it's been a grace in my own life to have those kind of eyes and ears upon me to help me see these things that are in my life so that as the the normal fears and the the shame that is going on in our country try to stick on me, I know where it's coming from. And so today, uh, you guys are in for a treat. Uh, The the Lord, I, I am convinced of it, is going to be breaking off all shame. Are you ready for that? All right. Are you ready for that? I've been ready for that for a long time (laughs) he's doing that today so we're gonna we're gonna hit that hard so right from the very beginning uh, of creation our father he created a place for us to dwell in delight literally the word Eden which is the the place where man and woman was planted a garden at that time means delight so the, the first home that God wanted you and me to be in with him is delight and that's our home. That's, that's our landing place. That's where we were meant to be you know, for all eternity. And in that place and at that time, you know the story where Adam and Eve, they were given the choice, we all have choices in life, to eat of this fruit or not, to receive glory from God and wisdom from God and identity from God or from creation, from the tree. And they and then we also, along with them, have chosen... Uh, you know, the, the fall. We have chosen the, the, the creation, the, the lesser thing. And when God came to Adam and Eve after this happened, he looked at them because they were hiding and he said, what are you, where are you guys? And Adam said, I, I was hiding because I realized I was naked. And the result, therefore, of looking to creation is we can now see ourselves. We can see flesh first. Before there was nakedness, before the fall, uh, I believe, and I'll show you in scripture in just a moment, that we were actually covered with glory. Yeah. The, the first thing that we would have seen about ourselves is, is glory. There was a, a movie that came out some years ago, not too long ago, uh, called Noah. You know, it had Russell Crowe in it. And they had a creation account that, you know, was, I didn't agree with all of it. And most of the movie, there's stuff that I don't agree with. But this really cool part of showing Adam and Eve in the garden, there were nimbus lights. They were these glorious, beautiful lights uh, that just covered them completely. They were glorious. And, and I believe that this is more accurate of who we were before the fall. Uh, Mary Haas, who uh, you know, has a ministry up in Moravian Falls, who's an artistic uh, prophetic painter, um, she believes that the, the, the eyes of the Spirit were what we first saw things with, and so we saw ourselves with the Spirit around us uh, first and always, and that glory, that glow around us at all times. And I I like that idea, and and so I was, you know, I've I've been digging around the scriptures trying to see where this might also uh, be proven true. And in Second Corinthians five, Paul talks about us being clothed with glory, clothed with Christ Himself. So Second Corinthians chapter five, I just want to read this briefly, and the point of this is to show you all what you're made for, in a place of delight, in communion with the Father. We are to be clothed instead of being naked with glory. So for we know that if our temporary earthly dwelling is destroyed. Chapter 5, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians. We have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made from hands. Indeed, we groan in this body, desiring to put on our dwelling from heaven. Some will say like the, some will change the lesson, like the clothing from heaven. Revelation 21, it says that this new Jerusalem, which is, which is all of us, the city of God, we, we are all now being built up into this city with God and the angels and all of us are clothed with glory. Revelation twenty one eleven. so I it's, this is my contention and, and I'm trying to show it to the scriptures that from the very beginning we were made, made to be clothed with glory so Adam as soon as he ate of the tree of knowledge his eyes went from seeing things in the spirit to seeing things in the flesh and he recognized that he was naked and the first thing that he tried to do is cover himself why did he try to cover himself because before he was covered he he had a covering beforehand and now he saw that it wasn't there and he was naked before the covering was seen through things in the spirit as opposed to his flesh. And so this is the glory that you and I and all of us are made for is to be clothed and garmented in that. Now, when that's not there, we are going to try to look in all different directions and on all different things for glory. We are made for glory and we are made to not feel shame. The reason why we seek after you know, things of this world is because we don't want to feel shame. We, we don't want to experience that. We, we are made for glory, and so we, we seek after in all kinds of things. If you're anything like me, you do, and <laughs> you have. You know, we, uh, we'll look forward in our status because we'll see glory in, in status, whether it's a bank account, whether it's a certain job, whether it's skills that we've developed over time, whether it's who we're dating, you know, whether it's being good in school whatever it might be the popular person the popular crowd and in that you know we we look for a sense of glory god was aware of this that in creation we are going to try to make our glory make our image make something that we can attach to our own glory and cover our shame with and so that's why the second commandment was given you know do not make any graven image don't you know, put a God before you that you would worship. Don't make it in the image of an, uh, a sea creature or another creature or anything else at all. You know, in today's times, we, we see that happening all the time, you know, uh, in our own personal lives, but it's, it's exhibited through what's going on with the, with the statues right now in our, in our country and our culture. No matter what side of the issue that you're on, people are attaching a lot of value to statues. Yeah. <clears throat> one way or the other. They're attaching some of their identity this way or this way. When we do that, when we're seeking after identity, glory, you know, our own sense of community, belonging, honor, these kind of things, in that, we, we, we fall prey to a lesser glory. We let ourselves be shaped and imitated by the, the culture around us. The things that we try to seek after for our glory to cover our shame influence us. Um, this is why the, uh, the things that we fear influence us. This is why we are influenced by the things that we fear. The things that we look up to, the things that we want, the things that we put our glory on to hide our shame are the things that are going to influence us, not God. And it's going to be personal a lot of times. It's going to be people a lot of times. No matter where it is for you personally, you know, for me, it was uh, people-pleasing. Has been over the years. That's, that's the, the place where I've sought after identity and belonging. Has been a person. What do you think about me? Is it are we good? But all of us have it different. It might be a car for you. Maybe excellence in some other ways. And for all of us, we, we have to discover what that is and learn how to replace that glory with what God has given us in Jesus. Yeah. So, in trying to cover over shame and seeking these things for glory. Uh, We end up becoming attached to it. Now, it's understandable because you know if you guys have ever experienced shame before, which we all in some ways have, uh, it's something that none of us want to feel. It's an intense feeling of pain, as Brene Brown would say, of uh, of not feeling that you uh, that you feeling that you're flawed and that you're not worthy to receive love and belonging. It's this feeling of being like a failure. It's a feeling that you, you don't matter, that you're not significant, that you have dishonor, disgrace in you. And it's, a, it's an intense, painful feeling. We, we've all experienced that before. Uh, I remember there was a time when I was in, uh, when I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, in Germantown, and I was going to Larry Finch basketball camp. And at the time we were there, Memphis had one of the best basketball teams in the nation. They were awesome. Anthony Hardaway, you know, Deuce Ford, Cedric Henderson, you guys knew what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, yes. So I mean, we, we had awesome teams, <laughs> and I was coming up with those guys. Anthony Hardaway was a couple years older than me, so when I went to Larry Finch's basketball camp, these were the guys that we were playing with, and I was, I was the last guy to grow up in my high school. We had a huge high school of 2000. I was like the last guy to develop. So I'm out there on this big court right there with all these big, you know, giant men. And uh, and I kept on getting all the rebounds and all these like garbage buckets. I, I was like the the hustler. I, I was the one that would out hustle anybody on the court. You know, I didn't have what it took athletically. You know, but I, I was going. I, I was determined to win. And and it was foolish of me in many ways because I was the little guy. Well, after a while of watching this happen, Larry Finch stopped the whole practice during the summer camp. And, uh, and he said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because he recognized that his main players, the guys that were playing for national championships, they weren't hustling. They didn't care. It was summertime. This little kid over here, you know, he was wiping them out. And so he said, hold on, hold on, stop. You see this kid over here? He's a he's garbage man. He's, he's out hustling. you. He's getting every single bucket, every single point. He's putting y'all's efforts to shame. And uh, so the coach used shame these <laughs> big, strong, fast guys that could jump out of the gym <clears throat> and point <laughs> and pointed to me as the reason for it. And so <laughs> And so the next the next play down the court, um, the the team I was playing on, we, we missed a bucket and I ran back on the fast break to, to guard for the for the fast break bucket and Cedric Henderson and Alvin and, and uh, Henderson, um, Cedric Henderson and, and the other guy, uh, they, they came after me. Uh, it was a 2 on one break. <clears throat> and about the halfway part on the court, uh, he, <laughs> he sizes me up and he's about going full speed. I stop maybe halfway between the goal and the free throw line. And Cedric, who went on to play with the Cleveland Cavaliers and some other NBA teams, saw that, <laughs> got to just inside the free throw line and jumped over me. <laughs> to dunk it. You know, he ended up being like six foot nine, you know, I mean, just a, a baller out of nowhere. And so, and then, and then he just looked back at me and smiled. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't have a lot uh, at that time. And, and for maybe like, maybe a minute, I, I had glory. <laughs> And then I was put in my place. <laughs> 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 that was a little bit of shame that I felt at that time. <laughs> There's been times like you have where, uh, you know, maybe maybe you have, maybe not, where you've done something so hurtful to another person that you, you, don't, you, know, you don't even want to get out of bed. And you, you recognize it. You just, you just want to cover up. You're like, oh, God, I can't do this. You, you avoid people, all that kind of stuff ah, uh, you know, that, that shame kills me, you know, and I've walked in that, and I, for years of my life, I walked in that. I didn't know how to get rid of it. I didn't know that it was a thing. I just felt it all the time. I thought that was normal existence, and then I came to know who Jesus is as the, the one who took that shame, and, and I've begun to recognize that it's always the Father's desire for you to walk in lightness, and, and delight, and, and, and peace, and, and honor at, at all times, no matter what comes your way, no matter what people say about you, no matter what you do. But it takes some practice. But I, I also want to highlight how this works. Um, shame is something that, because of it and the fear that goes along with it, all of humanity throughout now, all of history, ha- has ruined themselves, you know, th- this world. In, in so many different ways. God's got a rescue plan, but we have to acknowledge that, you know, in, in all the ways that shame has hurt me or hit, hurt us, it has affected us. It's affected our culture today. It's a leftover. We hate it. You know, I hate it in me when I see it there. And so it's a big deal to God that, that we understand how shame is broken off and, and, and the price that He paid for you to have it removed. And so I want to talk just, you know, for a second about uh, what Jesus did on the cross through his crucifixion. Because we know, and we we love this verse from Hebrews 12, uh, that for the joy set before him, and I would say for the return of delight among all of us, he endured the cross, despising its shame, scorning its shame. And that word scorn, despise, it's like, it's so far beneath me, I'm not even going to acknowledge that it's there. Uh, you know, and there, <laughs> I, <laughs> sometimes we don't think of God as having strong negative emotions. Uh-uh, uh-uh. He hates this stuff. I mean, he's, he's, he is, he's jealous for you and me never to experience shame. He, he hates it on us. There, there's a burning jealousy of fire in him for you to know this. I mean, if you want to see God mad, oh, uh, so so let's talk about the cross. So Jesus, uh, he, he knew it was coming. He, he prophesied it long before uh, the cross actually happened that he was gonna be lifted up. The cross at that time, it was developed around, I don't know, three or four BC, some indications around, around the, the Persians and the Medes. They started to, to hang people up on a tree, uh, impale people. They did it to those peoples that they would conquer, uh, the Romans and the Greeks. They took it up. It became this instrument where in culture if you were hanged on a cross that was the that was the lowest form of human expression that, that was the most indignified thing that could ever happen you didn't have any clothes on so again it was a return to nakedness in that sense it was a place where uh, the, the romans they wouldn't even allow their own citizens to go through with it they forbid it they said no roman could ever go through the cross only aliens and slaves could go experience that during the imperial times that Jews use themself, um, they, they would acknowledge that it was a, it was a tool uh, to use. Um, and then so they did, and they would often, they would refer to it though through their scriptures as a curse. Cursed is every man who hangs on a tree, we see in Deuteronomy, and also it's quoted in Galatians. Uh, so the, the, the Hebrew culture was based on blessings and curses. The law itself offered blessings if you followed it and curses if you didn't. And those curses were evident, they were evident fully and completely. Disease, for instance, you know, being taken over, being the tail instead of the head, being the one that was always having to borrow instead of the lender. These were evidences that you were under the curse of the law because you didn't follow it in righteousness and all the ways that you were supposed to. And so to be hung up on a tree was actually the lowest form, the worst sign that you were cursed among all peoples. And that curse was something that people would feel so much shame about if it was connected to their culture, their village, especially their family. They would want nothing to do with that person ever again. They would disclaim it. They would say never again. They would erase them from the family history. It was the most horrible form, again, of human uh, existence that, that could ever happen. The shame of it was so great that people couldn't look at it. They didn't want to. It was, it was the lowest mark that you could have. We don't have that kind of uh, marker in our culture. We don't have something like that today. You know, and, and I don't want to uh, presuppose things because you know, we, we might— uh, we might accidentally put shame on somebody else that don't need to, but there, there's, some, there's some things in our culture that are they're horrible and terrible that we wouldn't ever want to have happen to anybody. And people are walking in it and we're like, oh gosh, we just feel gross around that. We would step into certain situations where we accidentally see something in a movie. We're like, oh, that's terrible. This was like that, but but the worst possible. <laughs> God sent his son to do that. Jesus When when he hung on a cross He didn't have any clothes on He he was returning to The fallen state Back in the garden He he was He he was the the fruit Of the the tree of of, of, of Everlasting eternal life Put up back on the tree Of good and evil He he was placed back on that, that place And he only could do that If he entered into the greatest shame possible for you and I. And so when you see, and you have to do this, you have to see Jesus on the cross. You have to look at him. You have to, you know, this is, when, when Christians at the time of, uh, for, the, for the first two or three hundred years of existence, uh, when, when they said they were a father of Jesus, they had to associate themselves with this as well. And so I just want to help you guys out with a little bit. Jesus himself, he entered into to complete shame. He hung there without, without clothes on. He hung out there like as a curse for mankind. Everyone spit on him, they ridiculed him. And so he was doing this because of, of what we have ourselves experienced before. And, and walked in because of, of our sin. And Christ, that's no longer valid. But you know, we, we have to go through the cross and we have to sometimes return to it in order to get to the glory. And so I, I want you guys just to, to see Jesus for a moment. Uh, perfect innocence and he, he's there taking on the ridicule of the Roman Empire which was oppressing his people constantly that there was there was horrible things that they were doing to the women and the children they were killing all these people for no reason his disciples and followers wanted him to end it and he said no I'm here to do this instead he knew that in becoming a curse becoming full of shame his own family was also going to be looked at with scorn and shame. His own followers, all of us for that season until now, it doesn't really mean as much, we're also going to have to enter into that. He knew these things going into this. And so as he hung there with all this on him, all sin of all mankind for all time was placed on him. And so was all shame for all of us. And so as that shame is there lying upon him, what does nakedness, what does the Son of God in all of his shame say back to you and me? Luke records the first of seven things that he says back. Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. Hallelujah. Jesus came not to bring peace but a sword, to bring judgment for those that would see it and have it. And this is judgment from above. You're forgiven. Mercy. Mercy. <laughs> with nothing hidden scorning and despising this shame he looked at you and me as we look at him and we have to look at him in this place he's saying you're forgiven the thing that we have to do is we have to give him our shame we have to look at him and we have to see that it's the father's delight to take this from you you know Another way of saying it is that whatever you've done in the past, whatever you've done today as you woke up, whatever happens in your life, whatever shame you deserve, whatever shame try, people are trying to put on you, you have to actually give it to Jesus. But it means that in so doing, you are agreeing that it was good for him to die for it. If you're, if you're taking it off of you and exchanging it for Jesus, you have to acknowledge that he wanted to die for you. He wanted to experience all that shame for you? I mean, would it go too far to say that we killed him? Would it, would it be too much for you to nail him to the tree to get rid of it if that's what you need to do? Is that agreeing with what he himself delighted to do for you, what the Father delighted to do for you? as you look at innocence, taking on shame, taking on sin, taking on punishment, taking on whatever it is that we want to give to him, uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you, it's very difficult as you acknowledge that and give that to him to not be filled with love and an awareness of his goodness and delight, of his joy, because there's an exchange that happens. As that leaves, you become aware of the innocence that's now in you. No matter what, have you done, no matter what. My, my granddad, he's uh, 96 now. His little puppy died, little dog died two nights ago. He, he calls my dad 13 times a night uh, because his mind is in a happy place. <laughs> <laughs> He was a World War II vet, you know, was over Battle of the Bulge, three years, and Silver Star, Purple Heart, great man. He was a, a you know, Southern Baptist, fiery, you know, uh, missionary, uh, doing the good thing, doing the good work of God. He, he wasn't a missionary; he was a a layman who did lots of short-term mission works, thirty-something of them. And he went to a country called Moldova. I say called Moldova because I don't even know where it is. know, <laughs> it's it's somewhere near Bulgaria, and. Um, <clears throat> And so he, uh, he met a man there named uh, General, um, what is it now, uh, Krish- Krishnikov. Something, you know, it was a Russian general. And he, uh, he went there for several years and this Russian general, and he got to become friends because they talked and traded war stories. And Dmitry Kriminov, yeah. And so granddad, uh, you know, I think the second or third year he was there, uh, they were hosting like a little medical table where they were giving people, you know, uh, some kind of uh, medical treatment for whatever things they were there. They were on a medical mission trip. And Kriminov was like the village guy. You know, in that, in that place in the, in the world, you know, the village guy is like the guy. You know, we, we have mayors that kind of have a little bit of power. The village guy has all the power in these places. You know, there's not, you know, an effective law system or government system. So they kind of rule themselves in many ways in these places. <clears throat> so he was the Russian Soviet general. He was a big dude. And he couldn't line. You know, there was a long line for medical treatment. He went to the front where my granddad was, and he closed the door behind him, and he sat down, and he said, we've, we've talked a lot about what has happened you know, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in the war, and you've talked to me about your God. Let me, let me ask you one thing. Let me tell you this. This this general, uh, he was one of the main guys that was responsible for cutting the supply lines of the Germans as they were marching towards St. Petersburg or Leningrad, whatever it was at the time. And I think 200,000 German soldiers died in that winter. So he was one of the guys that was responsible in his mind for the killing of 200,000 people. And that's pretty heavy. He looked at my granddad and said, hey, listen, I I feel responsible for killing 200,000 people. Is your God big enough to forgive that? And my granddad, you know, he's, he's, he's just an awesome guy. He just looked at me and he's like, Dimitri, yes, of course. And Dimitri like took off his hat, hung his head, and said, then I'll receive good Jesus as my savior. <clears throat> and uh, he, he uh, the general ended up passing away, I think that next year. <clears throat> and his wife, his widow, came and gave my granddad his uniform. So we have all these medals and hats and uniforms from this guy to this day. <sighs> oh whatever it is that you think your shame deserves to be sticking to in there is a lie I mean just plain and simple you know and guys you know, John's called me a rascal before I'm gonna give him a hard time for that that's true like I, I have I've looked into the eyes of the beast you know and <laughs> I've lived in the world and <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> you know um <laughs> I can, <laughs> I can tell you some funny stories. I'm not so. <laughs> and and it used to be that that those those events, those stories would come back. You know, at night you're having a dream, or you know, it just the enemy will just throw that in your face, and you're like, oh man. Um, and and early on, you know, I'd be insecure. You know, with uh, with Elizabeth, and and you know, I'd upset her in some ways. I just was crushed. I'm like, oh man. Now I'm fine. I don't, I don't care at all. I you know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> yeah. We will look to things. You know, we we we'll we put our our stock in statues. We'll we'll put our stock in flags. We'll put our stock in government parties. We'll we'll put our stock. We'll put our glory you know, in our relationship. And in some ways they're always gonna fail us. Those things will. Because we don't want to feel this anymore. We we don't want to feel naked. We're not going to be. We're gonna have we're gonna be clothed with glory. Today Paul picks this up in some really cool ways about the the, the impact of this. Let me let me first say one other thing. <clears throat> Whatever we seek after to define our glory by whatever it is that we're wanting glory from to cover over our shame and nakedness, um, we will also project upon it what we don't want to see in ourselves. Psychology calls that projection. Titus 1:15, Paul says that to the pure all things are pure, but to the corrupt or to the unbelieving all things are corrupt. You know, I can't trust anything. <laughs> so. You might have friendships. You might have, you know, uh, you know, government officials. There's a lot of people that are upset with, you know, our government right now in some ways because they don't want to look at what's going on here. God is coming so close right now in this season. And this is the shaking. When he comes close, we see reality, you know. We, we see a form of it if we want to. And what we do with that is important. So instead of looking at our own shame and repenting and saying, oh, Jesus, thank you for cleansing this. We'll project it out. Well, it's it's you that's bad. It's that person over there. It's those people <clears throat> that are bad. As opposed to acknowledging that all those things, you know, have been at some point true enough, the, the, the true enough, true in us. The fleshly nature, all that stuff was. The, the flesh that we sometimes refuse to look at is the very thing that, when we project it on those glories and those idols that we're looking at, uh, we invariably miss that it's actually here. And so the first thing to do whenever you see something negative or, or you know, experience it, is just ask, God, is this anywhere in me first? And if you remove the speck here, you'll, you'll find the log easy to remove in another. And so we, we always question that, God, if I see this, is this true in me first? Um, and so you, know, it, you might be having a hard time with politics or people, ask the question first, is this there in me first? Just, you know, it's, it's helpful to ask these things. It, it's a humbling place. Is this, is this at all true? Okay, and so that power projection of actually placing those things actually is a way for you to also discover, you know, um, the things that are going on in your own heart. And so if you're if you're this is a tip by the way, if you're having an argument with your friend or your spouse, whatever, and you, you, you're you're thinking about them in that negative way, just just maybe the Lord is asking you first, how do you remove that in me first? Because once it's there, then it's easier to remove it in the other person. Not always going to be there, but it's easier to. So, uh, so, um, just moving on real quick, when Jesus takes away our shame, it has profound impacts on our life, and I want to briefly couple, take a look at a couple uh, scriptures where Paul really launches into this. In Philippians 1, chapter 20, sorry, chapter 1, verse 20 he says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything. And so he, he's already seen this. And he recognizes that according now to the scriptures, we need not ever be ashamed about anything. And so once we look at Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you to have my shame. I want, I want to declare that it was deserving of you. It was good for you to die for my shame. I'm going I'm to leave it there on you. I need now to enter into you glory i need to i need to be clothed now with with your righteousness your glory who you are in that place suddenly i begin to feel what we worship through today just peace delight it's a restoration of that place and and so whenever we're feeling those negative things we we look at jesus we give it to him until it's gone until we have a restoration of, of delight of lightness When we're looking at the greatest authority that there is in Jesus, it shouldn't be a heavy thing. Repentance should not be a heavy thing. We shouldn't get stuck in it. You know, Paul talks about how godly sorrow produces repentance, but worldly sorrow leads to death. Sometimes, like, out there in the world right now, just out there, somewhere out there, we're seeing what people really want you know, we're, they they want they want crucifixion again. They they want the gladiatory games again. They they want your whole career ruined for 30 years ago. They they want shame to be attached to you and forever plastered there because of what happened long ago. They just want that. And so you feel that when you step out into the world, you're like, oh, it's there. It's everywhere. I didn't wear a mask today. I was at the grocery store a few weeks ago and I was looking in the ice cream section. And then I saw some person, and I was like, and, and friends, like, th- there's no shame in, in wearing a mask. I honestly believe that. Uh, but I felt it for a second because I wasn't, and this person was, and I'm like, it's frozen stuff in there. It's not gonna live. It's not gonna live. <laughs> Run. <clears throat> but we can feel that. You know, and, and we may be on different sides of that issue, and we may be looking at other people going, <laughs> so we shouldn't be ashamed I, you know Paul's saying that there needs not be any longer any shame in this Romans eight sorry Romans nine thirty seven again i 'm just trying to reinforce that that shame is no longer ours it 's broken off of us it 's not something that we need to carry any longer it 's his. So in Romans chapter 9, verse 30, my handwriting. Okay. Um, yes. Okay. Look, I'm putting a stone, uh, yes, uh, I'm putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over. Yet the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. Um, so there are times when, when you're experiencing the shame that another person is going to put on you for whatever reason, you know, maybe you associate with a certain political party, uh, maybe you disagree over the issue of the environment, whatever it might be, you know, maybe you see something in your friend, you're like, uh, and that gets put on you for a second, we, we have to, when we feel that, when we, when we experience somebody pointing these things out, the first thing we have to do is, all right, all right, on, right, okay, I'm forgiven here, I, there's no shame here, there's no, I, I'm not ashamed any longer, if I've done something wrong, or if there's a difference of opinion that I can look into, I need to Make sure this is good, because from that place, then I can open up and say, hey, listen, thanks so much for bringing that up to my mind. Thank you, I didn't see this. Or I might disagree with you, but that doesn't have to ruin connection now. Like, you know, whatever that might look like for you personally, we we don't need to be ashamed. We can look at one another now innocently because we are clothed in glory, looking at one another according to the Spirit. Paul goes on in Romans 8, chapter 1, back now. Therefore, there's no condemnation or no shame. I would add that to it. There's no condemnation, there's no judgment, there's no shame that exists for those who are in Christ Jesus because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh, which is what we were looking at to help satisfy the law, God did. He condemned sin and the flesh by sending his own Son in flesh like ours under sin's domain. So Jesus came clothed in flesh, which is under sin's domain, because it is now just what we see. We, we see that as opposed to looking at God who is spirit. That's a huge principle, by the way, uh, for our spiritual life. God is invisible, but he's spirit, and we can see him. As, as we worship, we lift our eyes up. That, that's actually the place that we're calling into. I'll, see, I'll, I'll show you what, what I mean. In order that the law's requirement would be accomplished <clears throat> and us do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, think about the things of the flesh. Why? Because they have eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is how the culture looks at world, which is how you know, creation itself defines things. There's logic and reasoning. There's science that's based purely on the natural laws of this world. That's not the fullness of creation, though. The fullness of the creation is the spirit, heavens and earth coming together. Our eyes, once we see that, we now begin to recognize that there's a whole other wisdom from above. So Ecclesiastes, for instance, which you know, looks like this kind of book of like, well, you know, all things are gonna be end up kind of like bad and, and, and it's gonna be tough. It's wisdom below the heavens. It's, it's what you see with your natural eyes. It's beautiful wisdom, but it's incomplete. If you wanna read Ecclesiastes correctly, read it through the lens of Jesus, whose wisdom from above now unlocking Proverbs and Ecclesiastes in Job. And he goes on. So Romans 8, uh, again, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh think about the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit about the things of the Spirit, they think about things of the Spirit, where Christ is seated in the heavenlies. And so the trick, if I could say it like this, to escaping the shame and the fear that's all around us right now is really simple. (laughs) Keep your thoughts on things above. It's like what John and Tiffany have been preaching over and over and over again. There's two things. There's fear and there's love. Keep your place, keep your mind focused on things above where there is love. Like we just, we, just, we just saturated ourselves in it today. Sometimes you guys wonder why we saturate certain verses, certain songs, or just maybe one word, love, good, and worship is so that we can be completely filled. Our minds transformed in the place that's true, in the spirit, and have our minds focused on that because that's the antidote that this world needs. We need to saturate that all the time. When we have conversations, disagreements with friends, colleagues, coworkers, kids, we have to maintain that place at all times. That's your glory now on earth, as it is in heaven. Keep your mind in that place. You are surrounded by glory. You may walk around the house feeling the wonder of out-of-the-shower experience. I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> Covered in glory. As you know that you're loved and you're amazing. I'm a man, this is how I look at myself, you know. I mean, I understand for you ladies, it's a little bit different, but. Just saying that it's real. <laughs> <sighs> and then surround yourself with with people that'll help both to to see where maybe you're agreeing with the flesh, but point you always to the spirit and be willing to listen to both. You know, in that always keeping your heart geared towards what's going on in the spirit at all times. And so, if I could land this a little bit, the antidote—it's <laughs> gonna sound so silly, simple—the antidote <clears throat> to uh, restoring your glory is remaining in delight. Go back to Eden through Jesus. Anytime you feel the heaviness of shame, because because shame is literally trying to pull you into a mud pit. You know, the the fear of it, of being disqualified, of being, you know, flawed, of being unworthy. A feeling like you don't measure up, that's not from God. That's why. Amen. Um, You you are, (laughs) you shine like the stars in the sky. You're innocent in Jesus. You are worthy because His glory is in you. When He looks at you, when the Father looks at you with those eyes, He sees beauty. He delights over you with singing constantly. Friends, we we need to detox right now from all this stuff that's going out there and we do that by remaining in delight. This is a, this is a house you are a people that has <clears throat> created a culture of worship to, to, to start and always end with. This is who we are. We're going to worship God no matter what. We can get on the, the gates of the golden, you know, whatever you want to call it <clears throat> and we can, we can shout back to the dragons that are out there, the giants that are out there, our praises back to our God <clears throat> no matter what we're going through. The the time I've been, I, I think most ever come in worship, um, was when there was a couple that we used to go to church with that had a miscarriage. Oh, I still make <laughs> tears. And the next weekend, I think it was a few days later, um, they came to church. Maybe it was a couple couple weeks later, and to see the father in worship with the 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 mother, just with their hands extended in praise, as tears were leaking down their face. Oh, God. <laughs> You know, that is There is no weapon That can flourish against that Ever You know, we. Jesus tells us In John uh, chapter 4 The Father is looking for true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth And that word truth in the Greek means nothing hidden Nothing hidden Just remaining Naked before the Lord No hiding nothing. You know, hey listen, I'm feeling this today, gotta give it to you. But here's all of it. Here's all the things I'm feeling. I'm giving this all to you. The word boldness in the scriptures is synonymous with sincerity. I I hid nothing from you. All that I saw, all that I am, I I just, here I am. This is the message that I, this is all I have. I give it to you. Paul came in weakness, fear, and trembling. He's like, I've got nothing. I've got no wisdom to give to you except for this powerful spirit behind me called the Holy Spirit. (coughs) So, we hide nothing because we are now no longer ashamed it's been taken from you no matter what you look like no matter what you've gone through no matter what you've done it's done it's finished I, I'm, I'm so angry for you today to get this <laughs> the father's jealousy for you I mean it's been on my heart you know strong and it's, it's for you to, to have this I'm gonna pray and I my I, friends I'm gonna enter into to all faith that this is broken off of all of us tonight today you know, there were officials that were trying to stop the worship on the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, there, there is now, anyway, in our country, and hopefully we can end this soon, but there is, right now, th- this look about uh, against Christians even coming. And you know, it's like, we, we might feel it more heavy than we need to. And so the antidote for, no matter what season we're in, we're gonna push this back, we're gonna continue to praise God, we're gonna ask the Lord for his mercy and grace, is to, is to stand in place of delight, because you can All right, let me pray, and we'll see. Father, Father, my desire in this, I mean, it's plain. I'm, I'm just gonna make it plain again. Is to help everyone right now know what it's like to scorn shame, to despise shame in them and in others through what you did on the cross in your son, Jesus. And so right now, Father, I ask for a revelation of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I ask through the power of the Holy Spirit who was sent by Jesus to prepare his bride through the washing of the word and his regeneration, a renewal in life, that right now you would fulfill the words of Jesus to make his bride ready. And so take away shame, God. God in the name of Jesus take away shame from every person on here everything they've ever done will ever do if it's been stuck in their body their mind their psyche their soul anywhere shame is it has got to leave your bride your people your son's beloved right now Father I ask I ask with with great love in my heart Lord that you would remember the pain of your son Jesus and count it worthy right now to take away every bit of shame even if we have no belief in this room for it you do And so according to the faith of Jesus himself for his bride to see your glory right now, Lord, take away shame in this room. Take away the fear of it. Take away the effects of it. Release healing over every mind, body, soul that was affected in any way by shame ever. Father, I ask for a renewal in every way of their heart, their life, that they would feel now connected in love to you. They would feel worthy to receive love. There would be a washing over of love right now for every person. Now, online, in their home, listening later, no matter where you are, you've got this. Jesus is with you. He will never leave you, never forsake you. His glory, His goodness hounds you down and will not release you. And so just surrender now to it in the name of Jesus. I bless you to do that. Father, I ask that you would now glorify your son in this way. And so if it's it's people seeing a picture of the crucifixion, let that be enough. If it's experiencing what Jesus went through in his own shame, to associate that now with us and for us, to give that away, do that now. If you don't feel like you're able right now to give him your shame, tell God that and by the power and the grace of Jesus he is merciful to take it from you anyway. Father, there is a there is a joining together of your body that's going on right now. It's, it's, a, it's a global thing. It's, it's here in this house today. It's in our hearts with you right now. There's a joining together right now. And so because, Father, you are taking away shame, I ask for a restoration of every relationship. Yes. I ask for a unity among believers, God, that we've never seen on earth before. I ask that there be a, oh, <laughs> I ask that there be a supernatural glory that covers every one of us that we're within 10 feet of another believer. 20 feet, whatever. We feel, we know, we are certain of that unity that cannot be broken. I ask for a supernatural revelation of discernment to now know the, the unity that we have and the bond of peace in the Holy Spirit. That peace is in the Spirit first and foremost and always. And you, because you told us, Lord, we can discern your Spirit and your work. And so Lord, I ask for a revelation and release of the power of the Holy Spirit and His discernment, his awareness, his revelation, so that we can know one another by the blood of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. Father, I ask that you would restore John 17 we were first connected up above with you, and then therefore have fellowship with one another through that first connection with you. Father, I, I keep on praying this. Father, I, I ask that you would jealously now attack <laughs> shame. I'm just going to pray that. Father, that by, by, by the power that you have, that you would now push out shame, of this house forever, of our our homes forever, of our lives forever, and that you would forever keep it at bay, that we would jealously guard it, Lord, by our words, by our actions, by our forgiveness, by our humility with one another, by our dependency upon you at all times. Father, this is a mark of a new era that we are in for the church. This is the great awakening. Father, you have activated us as a church. We are in that now. We are forerunning into that now. And this is your mark into it, Lord. We are fulfilling Ephesians 4. We will be a pure and spotless bride, unified in everywhere, carrying the full measure of Christ everywhere we go. Father, release your fullness now in every place where there was a gap, every place where shame would put a crack in there. Lord, fill that space now with your fullness, with your presence, with your kingdom.